Hi, I'm Jay Adama. I've been invited to give a talk with uh, my other illustrious presenters on the future of search and information retrieval. And uh, since Ron had asked me to give a similar talk before in Charleston, I titled this one, More Finding, Less Searching Redux. So what is the future of search? The future of search is the past. It's authenticated, distributed and networked, private, and mobile. All the mass digitization projects mean mass responsibilities for libraries. But this isn't a new phenomena in terms of anticipating either the death of the book or the reformatting of the book or how people actually have the time to read. Uh, Balzac in 1837, which is now 170 years ago, talked about the widespread uh, distribution of the printing press and how that changed provincial towns much in the same way that widespread access to the internet has also enabled distribution of information. Ernst Jünger, uh, who was a Nazi general but then uh, wrote about some of the impact on Germany after the war, wrote in the glass bees about corporations that I think we'd recognize today and uh, how worker workers are motivated and what happens there. Uh, Jean-Francois Lyotard, a French critic, talked about the death of the book in 1984 and tied it to how in the future, if success is tied to gaining time, uh, people wouldn't have time for the meditation that reading a book requires. And Sven Burkert echoed his point in the Gutenberg Elegy 1995. Finally, Nicholson Baker, who was a kind of divisive figure in the library world, did have some interesting things to say, I thought, about uh, microfilm projects and kind of the, the hype about microfilm in the 1950s and the sort of worries about government control are, I think, echoed in what's happening now. So Balzac, when he talks about the um, printing press, he's saying that when the story begins, and this is a, the very opening paragraph of Lost Illusions, uh, the Stanhope Press and inking rollers were not yet in use in small provincial printing offices. The story uh, is, is interesting because the author kind of goes through his own history as he grew up in a provincial town uh, through the character of Lucien and then moves to Paris and makes his way as a author and then has to move back for some period of time and uh, in the story, Lucien works with both his uh, brother and sister-in-law to invent a new type of paper. And so uh, I think literature has always had a fascination with the mechanism of production, what happens to the words after they're, they're born. And uh, Ernst Jünger here talks about um, irreplaceable apparatuses, not only to industry and science, but also to the housewife. But he, he kind of cautions, and I think he has reason to caution, that the factory and the, and the worker were in conflict because the smarter the worker, the more they have to be motivated and the more uh, almost nefarious and Machiavellian uh, those motivations have to become. Um, quoting from the book, Unger says, now and then he, the owner, had difficulties with his workers. If someone is ambitious enough to force dead matter to think, he cannot do so without original minds. Moreover, the measurements in question were infinitesimal. In the beginning, probably, it was less difficult to create a whale than a hummingbird. Zapparani, the owner, had a staff of highly skilled experts. Makes me think of a company maybe uh, headquartered in Mount Mountain View about that one. And Jean-Francois Lyotard, uh, a French philosopher and critic, said in 1984, uh, a year I found interesting, that in the next century there will be no more books. It takes too long to read when success comes from gaining time. What will be called a book will be a printed object whose message, its information content, 
and name and title will fir- first have been broadcast by the media, a film, a newspaper interview, a television program, and a cassette recording. It will be an object from whose sales the publisher, who will also pub- produce the film, the interview, the program, etc., will obtain a certain profit margin, because people will think that they must have it, and therefore buy it, so as not to be taken for idiots or to break, my goodness, the social bond. The book will be distributed at a premium, yielding a financial profit for the publisher and a symbolic one for the reader. And Sven Burkertz, who uh, is a critic and is now a, a magazine editor also, wrote a series of essays collected in the Gutenberg Elegies. And uh, his main point, I think, was he was bemoaning that society at large was moving away from contemplative space, more or less the, the time that it takes to read. And he's, he's complaining here in this quote, saying, Closer to home, I see many of my culturally savvy friends and colleagues carrying on as if very little is really changing, as if we are living in the midst of a fundamentally static environment. They greet my assertions with shrugs and impatient expressions that say, Are you still carping about computers and television? And no matter what perspectives or evidence I offer, I am met with the it's just response. The word processor, the laptop, it's just a tool, a more efficient way of electronic bulletin boards and networks. They're just other ways for people to connect. The prospect of books on disk, what's the difference? The words don't change. These are often the same people who, exi- who insist that writers are flounder, flowered, who insist that writers are flourishing, that publishing is healthy, and that readers are reading like never before. I sometimes wonder if my thoughtful friends and I are living in the same world. And our friend Nicholson Baker, who bought bound newspaper volumes in order to preserve them in a barn in Maine, and I think showed his dedication to uh, the cause of preservation that way, if not digitization, has uh, his book on the topic, Double Fold, uh, up on Google Books, and I found it kind of interesting that uh, there's no preview available. So what does this mean for search? Effectively, search has been commoditized. In the old days, or even when I was in library school in 1996 through 1998, there was a cost per search. You'd pr- you, you would pay Dialogue or Lexus or whichever provider it was uh, for connect time and other things, and so librarians got very good at devising their searches and saving money. But now search often, um, if not subsidized by a subscription, where it's an all-you-can-eat sort of thing, in the age of Google, it's subsidized by advertisements. And so the next step after something's been commoditized is there's a, um, an attempt to try to figure out how to extend that further. And so I think with search syndication, and I'll talk about open search a little later, uh, it's interesting that searches have been canned and then distributed for use in other applications. In the case of uh, Craigslist, you can do a search on apartment and location and price and have that uh, constantly refresh without you having to do anything. Uh, the same thing with Google News. Sometimes you can find out more about the company you work for from the news alerts than you can from the internal emails. And then finally, I think uh, it's been sitting around for a little while, but Francois Shidikat had um, was the first place where I saw search syndication, and, and it was over the first set of OAI providers. So um, there's certainly research applications for it, too. And so what does this mean? Uh, Lorcan Dempsey, who's the uh, chief strategist and uh, a vice president at OCLC, has a phrase that he used a year ago or so where he talks about aggregating supply to increase demand. And I've been kind of trying to figure out what that meant. And I've been a heavy user of Delicious, the social bookmarking application. 
And I was thinking about how when people's research trails are aggregated together, that does definitely increase my demand. And looking at the network, I, I find things probably um, far ahead of any other uh, professional source for um, editorial work. But then for libraries, I suppose what he's getting at is that if there are some libraries that kind of have even larger collections, the Google Five and now with CIC even more, um, there are larger libraries and with WorldCat opening itself up, there's uh, central sources to go to to search for things. So beyond being commoditized, it's also being centralized and there are central repositories also of books in a way that uh, didn't exist quite the same way even uh, two years ago. But I guess I also think that it's OCLC's attempt to enter the stage with Google, Yahoo, and Microsoft, and also Amazon, so that it, it in its own, from its own perspective, it wants to be a player representing libraries. But I think libraries should also acknowledge that OCLC feels that it's acting in libraries' best interests when sometimes it's not necessarily the financial interests of libraries. The other thing that uh, occurred to me, and uh, Herbert von Sample gave a talk on recommender systems at NISO last fall. With the different recommender systems, privacy is really an issue. And when Herbert was questioned, he said, I don't have any answers to it. So one way around privacy is authentication, of course. And the Google account is one example. And even WorldCat has a sign-in. And the question is, who maintains that authentication information? Uh, some of the systems in use uh, are Athens, which started in the UK and now is starting to be used in medical libraries. Uh, it's resold through Keaton Data Systems, I believe. Uh, Shibboleth, which has been sitting around for quite a while, but I'm starting to see more uptake among vendors. Uh, I just see that Ovid implemented Shibboleth support. Uh, LDAP, the perennial favorite, which uh, interoperates pretty well across campuses and uh, different corporate systems. And then a new entry, OpenID, which assumes that everybody has a weblog or at least some place to um, that they consider where they're publishing from. Uh, it's it's interesting on the edges, and I'm starting to see it built into more applications, and I think that'll be the, the tipping point in terms of its acceptance. So privacy and authentication are big issues, but the future of search is also the past. Uh, the back files, I think, are really amazing. Looking at the New York Times, I can plug in my address for places. I used to live in New York, and it actually lists uh, when it was first available for rent in the 1800s and uh, what the rental price was then compared to what it was when I lived there. Uh, even ads and other things are being preserved. So I think with Nature Magazine and many of the STM publishers going back to volume one, there's really uh, the sense that most of the important things are becoming available online and instead of having those markers, which all librarians knew about in 1980 for InfoTrack things in 1966 and then 1950 for Medline, I think that there's um, an assumption at least that most things are also uh, being digitized and will be available online, at least for journals. And of course, the elephant in the room is books. Uh, Google's adding, according to the announcements last month, 10 volumes, 10 million volumes uh, this month. And I guess what I think about with this picture is uh, haste makes waste. If this is your only copy and you have um, images of people's fingers and, and, and nails on the page, um, it's really no better than a, a hastily done interlibrary loan copy. And, and maybe the cost is actually worth the expense of going back and doing some QA. 
So in this age of having everything online and having authentication and privacy um, in question, personal digital libraries are one possible solution to the future of search. Um, a Mellon-funded project called Zotero, which is a Firefox extension, um, is becoming a little bit more interesting because one of the things it does besides capturing the bibliographic data about um, resources both online and offline is it allows you to save both a PDF and a local copy of what you happen to see on the screen at any given time. And although LOX does something similar for institutions to ensure that uh, journal subscriptions never go dark so that libraries have a copy of you know, what they had paid for at the time of viewing, uh, Zotero kind of gives that same uh, capability to the individual. And I think uh, it'll be interesting this fall. It's supposed to have a a sharing component so you can you can store your citations online, which I think will um, be a major step forward. And also, it's not just Google. So there's some very interesting innovations kind of popping out of uh, both Ask, which has been around for a long time and had a lot of natural language processing research um, available to it. And so with Gary Price there, there have been a lot of, um, I'd say, reference improvements where you can do a search and it gives you the answer in the first uh, in the one-box kind of style of results. Uh, PowerSet, which also groups things uh, pretty nicely. It's still in beta, but the, the things that have leaked look pretty good. And then there are a lot of innovations um, with Google and others around both local searching and with maps. Um, Stephen Johnson uh, is heading up a project called Outside.in, which aggregates all the different postings around the zip code, so it's um, getting easier to see the news that's relevant to you. And then uh, with maps, I think that it's a phenomenal kind of period, no longer um, limited to just GIS applications. I think, too, with the Library of Congress uh, announcing that they'd acquired the earliest known map from the 1500s, there are some uh, real opportunities for libraries um, digitizing their collections and making things available to scholars in a way that hadn't uh, been available before. There's also some visual applications of search. This is a uh, um, a visualization component of the software Grokker, uh, which some of the CUNY libraries, CUNY Binghamton is one of the first. And it's uh, it started as a client application, which was kind of interesting, but the web-based version, I think, is uh, approaching a real usefulness for federated search. Uh, it lets you search simultaneously the catalog databases in Google, and it actually queries your catalog uh, with SRU, SRW, to do a lookup of the holdings. And EBSCO has had part of it implemented for a while, but I understand Thompson Gale is also announcing um, the list view component. So it's something to keep an eye on. It also started out at Stanford. When you think about search, you think about what you can do and what you can query yourself. I mean, there's certainly the end user applications and the search the, the vendor databases, but I think that more and more people have some um, interest or at least some, some ability in customizing um, query results, and so APIs build users and applications. Uh, the National Library of Medicine was an early uh, proponent of this, and with their web service for PubMed, noticed a lot of interesting applications, especially in bioinformatics coming out of that. Probably PubMed is one of the best interfaces I've seen to the Medline database, and it's totally built on the um, NLM API. One of the things to think about is that OCLC and others are, are looking into this, and they're thinking about the financial component first. And the two challenges are to keep them simple and to uh, not monetize them in a way that penal penalizes use. 
the XISBN service from OCLC has a limit of 500 free queries. And so I think people very quickly run up against that, which is the intention, of course, but it kind of um, can discourage use and adoption also. So um, more, more experimentation is better, I think, in the early days. A very simple search API um, was devised by Amazon in A9 called OpenSearch. And what it does is returns your search results in a RSS-like format. And so it's been pretty simple to uh, tack that on to a lot of applications. And um, what I was talking about earlier with both Craigslist and, and Google News syndicating the results, it makes it easy for anything that might be built to be built into a workflow application so you can get the results of a search uh, in your RSS reader. And with these things, I think that what's uh, been proven and what people are thinking about is that lock-in really doesn't work, uh, either for users or as a business strategy. And when you think about uh, Google Free Fridays and things that people have talked about, uh, there is no real lock-in in the search world. And as we see in the integrated library system business, um, there's definitely switching costs and lock-in there. And that's led, I think, in part to some of the private equity ownership uh, change changeovers recently. Uh, users aren't partners, so there's not as much of an investment. And uh, when private equity takes over, they're looking for double-digit returns and uh, less than five years of ownership before they sell to uh, another entity in order to recoup their investment. So in a way, it's like owning your home and then uh, switching over to renting. You're still in the same place, but your um, equity position is certainly less and your um, leverage is also less. All right, so we've talked about a lot of different things, and I guess um, the future of search is certainly um, what is the future of searching mass digitized text and unbounded text in a, in a way. I think it certainly means faster interlibrary loan. I think uh, the CIC announcement of many of those scanned copies being put into a repository for Michigan opens up a lot of interesting possibilities for at least those 10 libraries and, and hopefully others, maybe the UC system as well. It also um, opens up these applications for print-on-demand. So if someone searches for something, they can have their needs met in the book world, maybe as simply as uh, in the journal world. And looking at the history of e-journals, uh, I think it leads us to think a lot about licensing, which is where I'm going to finish up. So libraries have always licensed things to users. When you check something out, you, there's an implied contract with the patron that they're going to bring it back. And if they don't, there will be a fine. And that's worked out pretty well, uh, both in the public realm and in uh, scholarship for a long, long time now. But in the end, uh, it seems like things in the acquisition realm are shifting more and more to contracts, contracts, contracts. And that works real well for the 20% of very large publishers because the universities and the large library systems and the vendors all have an attorney on staff and they enjoy um, hammering out contract details. But for the smaller presses and the smaller libraries, it consumes an awful lot of time. And so there's a NISO emerging standard that Judy Luther and others have been uh, piloting, and its uh, acronym is SERU, Shared Electronic Resources Understanding. And so instead of a contract, it's advocating terms of use, which if you think about what happens after you buy a book, you don't have to ask anyone to open it up. And finally, some practical steps. Um, 
in an era when search has been commodified, uh, it's useful to guard your data with your life. I noticed that with Google search history, you can uh, get that as RSS. You might want to keep that around. might be useful to archive locally some of these things. Also to add contract clauses for collective bargaining. Um, there's been uh, this acronym that's been in existence, and it was coined from the author of Getting to Yes, BATNA, uh, the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. And I think libraries always need to, to have uppermost what their, their bargaining power is, even after they've signed agreements, and be seeking uh, better alternatives at all times. And also to keep at least this part of Nicholson-Baker's critique in mind, um, the copies that are coming back, I really know better than microfilm all over again, and uh, certainly I think we can do a little bit better. Be happy to take any questions. Thank you very much.